0: morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Zephaniah chapter 3. We uh, are going through the book of Zephaniah this Advent season as we work on learning to wait, um, as we look on learning to, learning to wait to celebrate the, the first coming of Jesus, our Messiah, and to look towards when he will return. And... Um, as we've looked at Zephaniah for the first two weeks, we've seen just a lot of words of judgment. The first two and a half chapters of the book are, are really focusing on the day of the Lord when, when all people will face the judgment of God and potentially the wrath of God and his anger because we've been living our lives in rebellion against him. We've been living our lives with ourselves at the center rather than him. And so after the first two and a half chapters, you know, as you're reading this, it's probably being like, you're like, I don't know if I can take much more of this. God, will you just rescue us from whatever it is we're facing? This is awful. We get it. And uh, we're going to look now at the second half of chapter 3, verses 9 to 13, and This is the thing, though. Instead of just saying, I'm going to solve your problems, I'm going to uh, remove my judgment. What he says, what he focuses on first before anything else, is he says, I'm going to change you. I'm going to change you, because that's what you need more than anything else. You need to be changed. And so listen to God's word as I read from Zephaniah 3, verses 9 to 13. It's printed in your order of worship if you don't have a Bible. Um, If you do have a Bible, I encourage you to open it and use it and read it. This is God's word. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you've rebelled against me, for then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones. And you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take your word right now and that you would drive it deeply into our hearts by the power of your spirit. We need you to work on our hearts, to mold our hearts, to shape our hearts. We need each and every person in here needs to be transformed by what you say. So Father, we pray that you would make our hearts soft and we pray that you would work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one, one really common theme in Christmas stories, as I was thinking about it, Christmas movies that I watch, and is, is transformation. Often there is a character who is radically changed. And I was thinking, you know, what are some of the most radically transformed characters in movies or, or Christmas stories that I can think of? And, uh, you know, of course, I, I love the movie Elf, you know. If you've seen the movie Elf, uh, the, the father, Walter Hobbs, starts out as this, you know, just a uh, really callous and uncaring businessman. All he cares about is the bottom line and he doesn't care much about his family. And he is transformed at the end of the movie to become a person who cares deeply about his family. More about his family than he does about his job and he's willing to lose it for them, you know. Um, I think of Scott Calvin. Have you guys, any of you guys seen the, the Santa Claus movies? So Scott Calvin is this guy who is, you know, he's cynical and, and he doesn't believe in much and he's disengaged from his family and, uh, and absent from his son's life in, in a lot of ways. And, and, uh, and then throughout the movie, he becomes Santa Claus. So he's radically changed in that sense. But even more so, by the end of the movie, he, he deeply cares. He deeply believes. He connects and loves his son. Um, I thought about, of course, Scrooge is the obvious one, right? Scrooge is just this uh, miserly, grumpy, selfish man who cares about no one but himself. Doesn't even care about himself that much. And in the end, he is transformed into a guy who, is, who can't hold in his laughter. He experiences so much joy and he just wants to share it. And he becomes this generous man who, who cares about the joy of others, right? He's radically transformed. But I was thinking, there's one character that, that, you know, I feel like wins the prize as the most transformed. The most transformed. I mean, would you guess who the most transformed is? I would, I would say the Grinch has got to be the most transformed character in any Christmas story. If you have a better one, then let me know after the service, please. But, <laughs> but I think, you know, the Grinch is, he starts off as this, you know, again, completely uncaring, but actually more than that, he wants to destroy the joy of others. He wants to destroy Christmas and take it away from everyone. But in the end, right, he's transformed. Again, he's transformed to to actually care about others, to have compassion on others, to love others. And, you know, the proof is in the fact that his heart grows three sizes, right? He's transformed. He's radically changed. Christmas seems to be a great time to tell stories of characters who need transforming, and who are changed in significant ways. And I'm not totally sure why that is. Why is that that Christmas is such a good time to focus on people who are changed radically? Is that because it's such an emotional time of year, or such an emotional holiday? Is it because the holiday is about, it's about giving? One of the big things is about focusing on others and giving, and, and so it confronts us with the fact that maybe we aren't as giving the rest of the year as we should be, and maybe we all need transformation. Uh, we all need change. For whatever reason, Christmas is a time that invites us to think about, you know, how might I need to change? What kind of person am I meant to be? What kind of person does God want me to be? How does he want me to change? And I think that's why it's appropriate for us to look at these verses in Zephaniah, because these verses in Zephaniah are all about transformation. They're about change, right? The very first line, for at that time, I will change God is promising change in the people of Israel. He's promising change in us. I mean, this is a prophecy that Zephaniah makes hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. He, he makes this before Israel is taken into captivity. And he's, he's like some aspects of this promise are that, that God is going to work in the people of Israel as he brings them back and restores them. But also there's, there's a more fuller fulfillment of, the pro, of this promise in the coming of Jesus and all that he does. Um, but then there's also an even fuller fulfillment of this promise that this, this promise that hasn't been fulfilled yet, that is in the future for all of us when Jesus returns. But at the heart of this promise is change, transformation. How does God want us to change? Want to change us? And and so I want to look at three areas that this passage addresses. Areas in our lives, and all of us, I think all of us need changing in these areas. Okay. Um. So the first area that I would say that we all tend to need transformation in is the fact that we all tend to be passive. We tend to be passive as we live our lives. And you might be saying, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Especially now at Christmas time, I'm anything but passive. I am so active. It's driving me crazy. I'm getting worn out. You know, all of these things I have to go to, all of these extra activities that I'm involved in, all of this Christmas shopping that needs to get done. All of this constant like thinking about this gift that I need to get this person that I care about. I mean, I am active. I've got to-do lists. I've got to-do lists for my to-do lists right now, right? You guys, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you are feeling like you're, you're very active. And, and the, real, the reality is, is that, that not just Christmas but the rest of our lives, we probably feel like we're very, very active. We feel like we're very busy. There's very few of us today in our culture today who probably don't say, man, I'm, I'm just so busy right now. <laughs> I'm so busy. We, we are so active when it comes to just solving our problems and the challenges that we face. We're active in, in our pursuit of success in our careers, in our workplaces. We're active in caring for our families and, and helping them and loving them. We're, we're, a lot of us are active in our church. We're very active. But I guess the question that I want to encourage us to ask is this. In all of our activity, how active are we towards God? How active are we in our thoughts toward God, in our words toward God, in our actions toward him? We're very, very, very busy, but I'm not sure if any of that, that, how, how much of that busyness translates to our attention to who God is and our relationship with him. In, in verse 9, it says, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. This might be an allusion to something that happens at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. If any of you guys know the story of the Tower of Babel, where all of the people spoke the same language, and, 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 they, and they decided, I'm, we're going to build this tower to the heavens. We're going to be very active and we're going to put all of our effort into building this tower to make a name for ourselves to, 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 to achieve significance and value and glory. And God says, no, this isn't good. Um, your, your satisfaction, your, your joy in life isn't going to be found by you trying to achieve your own glory by your actions. And so what you really need is me. And so what he does is he frustrates their plans and he causes them all. He scatters them and introduces all sorts of different languages, so they cannot communicate with one another. But now he says, I'm gonna promise to transform your speech to a pure speech so that everyone may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. Our activity will be changed to to be focused on God, to serve him as one together, right? Not just with our actions, but also, also with our words. We will call upon him In verse 10, he says, from beyond the rivers of Cush. Cush is is a region on the other side of Egypt. So it's thought of as kind of the furthest reaches of the world for the people that lived at that time. He says, from beyond the rivers of Cush, Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. People will be coming. All of the nations will be coming towards God, focused on him, bringing an offering to him, bringing a gift to him, to serve him, to love him. This is what we need. In all of our activity throughout life, we are all extremely busy. But again, how many of us are directing that activity towards the one who deserves it, to the one who made us? We're all, it, it talks about our words, you know, our speech. So many of us are very active in the way that we use our words, right? In talking to our friends and family and talking to other people. In, in texting people, we're we're very expert at using our words, right? And and making posts on social media, we're very active. How active are we in using our words to tell God how great He is? To tell other people how incredible He is, right? How active are we in using our thoughts? How active are we in thinking? We're, we're we I mean, I wrestle, and I'm not very good at it, but I I spend time thinking about, you know, what what gift can I give this person that will make them happy? I spend a lot of activity doing that. How many of us spend much activity today thinking about what I can give God today? What's the perfect gift that I can give God today? You know? We tend to be passive when it comes to God. And so we need to be changed. We need to be changed so that, that our, our greatest activity is, is directed towards him. The second thing that he promises to address is our pride. We all tend to be very proud. We tend to be very proud, all of us. Pride is, is something where, one way you could define it is, is, is kind of a, a preoccupation with ourselves. Uh, a, a preoccupation with, with me over and above those around me. And, and so pride can look like arrogance. You know, I'm better than everybody else. I'm trying to prove how great I am. But it also can look like, you know, I'm just, I'm just miserable. I'm depressed. I'm, I'm like, I, I hate myself, <laughs> you know. Pride can look all sorts of different ways. It's just kind of a, 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 a preoccupation with myself as opposed to being preoccupied with God and others. And the problem is our pride gets in the way. It gets in the way of a couple things, and it gets in the way of a couple things that God wants to do, that God wants us to do. And I would, I would say one thing that it gets in the way of, it, it gets in the way of us seeking refuge in the name of the Lord. It gets in the way of what he says at the end of verse, uh, verse 12. It gets in the way of, of experiencing God's mercy, experiencing God's protection, particularly it gets in the way of us experiencing his grace and his forgiveness. One aspect of our pride is, is basically saying, well, I'm, I'm not all that bad of a person, you know? I'm not really that much of a rebel. I'm not really, like, the, the first two and a half chapters of, of this book have been talking about the judgment of God. My pride gets in the way of thinking, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I mean, I'm just trying to do my best. I'm trying to be a good person, I'm trying to be kind, I'm trying to be nice, I'm trying to be thoughtful. But the reality is, that, that's just my pride talking. <laughs> the reality is, what, what God tells us over and over again is that deep in our hearts, we are way worse than we dare to admit. We are way worse than we can imagine. We are way more apathetic towards God and towards others. We're, we're way more calloused and uncaring. We're way more preoccupied with my wants and my needs rather than who God is and what he wants. And so the thing is, we, we, need, we need our pride to be changed. We need to be humbled. As he says in verse 11, he says, On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain." But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. God is promising to transform us so that we would become a people who are humble and who are able to experience what he promises in the beginning of verse 11 when he says, On that day you shall not be put to shame. This is the thing. Our pride gets in the way of us acknowledging our sin and therefore it gets in the way of us experiencing God saying, I'm not going to put you to shame anymore. I'm going to forgive you. All of us, because of our sin. We experience guilt. We have a sense of guilt. We also experience shame. And God is saying, I will wipe away your shame. I will wipe it away. In spite of the ways that you've rebelled against me, in spite of the ways that you've been preoccupied with yourself instead of me and my glory and my kingdom, I will wipe away your shame and I will delight in you. And we cannot experience that unless we are humbled, unless we we experience a humility that says, yeah, I do need it. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need what you're telling me in verse 11. When we experience humility, it's, it's only then that we are driven to seek refuge in the name of the Lord, to find shelter in him and what he has done for us, to find refuge in what Jesus has done for us. living and dying on the cross to pay for our sin to set us free from our guilt and our shame this is the good news this is the gospel the gospel is that that i i i am worse than i ever dare to admit and yet god loves me more than i can imagine he has wiped away my guilt and my shame because of what jesus has done and that is it don't let your pride get in the way of you experiencing the joy that that message promises. And so our pride gets in the way of us seeking refuge. Our, our pride also gets in the, way in, us of, in the way of us seeking righteousness. And at, at verse 12, he says, I will leave in your midst the people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. And he he talks about the way that they begin to, as they are humbled, as they experience humility, they begin to live lives in relation to others, where they do no injustice, where they treat others with justice, where they treat others as they were made to be treated. This word, uh, this this phrase, they shall do no injustice, is actually repeated from earlier in the chapter, in verse 5. In verse 5, it says, the Lord within her is righteous, he does no injustice. So what, what, what he's promising here is he's saying, as, as I cause you, as, as I remove your pride and I make you more humble, what is going to happen is you're going to reflect who I am. You're going to start to, to, to act like me in seeking righteousness. You're going to start to treat people the way I treat them. You're going to start to love people the way I love them in all righteousness. You're going to start to speak to people, not with deceitfulness, but with truth and with goodness and with blessing. So God promises to transform us. He promises to transform us, to to remove our pride, to make us a people who are humble so that we will actually turn to him and seek refuge in him so that we'll actually bless others and seek righteousness and reflect him. The last thing that he promises to do is he he promises to change the fact that we tend to, to live lives of panic. We tend to live lives that are very panicked, (laughs) and uh, the line I'm referring to is the very last line, which is a beautiful picture, and if I, if, if nothing else, if you got nothing else out of this passage, out of this sermon, please just think about this line today a little more. Meditate on this line for the rest of the week. He says, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. They shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. This is a beautiful picture, right, of of sheep in a pasture, of these little lambs in a pasture who are just completely protected and provided for, who have not a care in the world. They are completely at peace. They are safe. They are absolutely safe, right? And this is what God says he's going to do for us. And and the the reason this is such a beautiful picture, the reason that I want to encourage us to kind of memorize this and think about it is because this is so far from all of our daily experience, isn't it? Is it far from from your experience or the experience of the people around you that you know? I was talking to somebody this week who was saying, you know, when they go to work and they're at work, everybody else at work is just absolutely paranoid and they're just, you know, talking with one another and stressing out and and just like thinking about, you know, talking about rumors of what could possibly happen to their jobs and, and to the company, you know, what's the boss gonna do? What's the company gonna do to us? They're just, they're just living in constant fear and panic. I don't know, maybe that's your experience of the people that you work with. Maybe that's your experience at work. We live in a constant state of panic and it's not just with our work, it's with, with our families, right? We, ha- we have things that are going on in our families with, with our, our parents or our siblings or our children, our spouse that, that are just we don't know how we're going to handle what, what they are going through, and it, and it moves us to a state of stress and anxiety and panic. When it comes to our finances, how many of us are not tempted to live in a state of panic, especially in the economy today? There's all sorts of reasons to panic. When, when I wake up in the morning and I have some new thing that hurts, it's so easy to begin to panic, to think about what could this be? What is this going to turn into? And, and that's not even the worst part. The worst part, for some of us at least, is just the idea of trying to make an appointment with a doctor is panic-inducing, right? Especially with insurance, and you don't even know if your insurance covers it or not, and it's just, it's awful. We live in a constant state of panic, all sorts of reasons to panic. And God says, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do for you. You will graze and lie down and none shall make you afraid. My desire is to bring you to a place where you are absolutely secure, where you are so safe that you have no need to panic ever. Ever. Where you are so secure. God promises to transform us so that we're able to live with an absolute security with no fear. And as I was thinking about it, a lot of our struggles in life have to do with insecurity. A lot of our inability to interact with people has to do with our insecurities. You know, the way that we take it out on others, the way we can't handle criticism, the way that we, we are kind of so, so preoccupied with ourselves and our own problems that we, we are blind to, uh, to other people and, and we're, we're quick tempered and all this stuff is because we're insecure. As we experience the reality of this verse, it will enable us to live lives that are healthy, to live lives where we actually love people well, where we can listen to people and care about them. This is what emotional health is all about, knowing that God has us, knowing that we're absolutely safe, that there's no reason to ever be afraid. That's what this is a picture of absolute security, peace, rest, safety. I long for this. God wants this for me. He wants this for you. And so the question is, how does this all happen? How does this all happen? All the all these characters in the Christmas stories, you know they all experience transformation, and, and as I was thinking about it, it's all different things that transform them. I think maybe you can come up with a common theme, but but I couldn't. I mean I, you think of Walter Hobbes in in the in the movie elf for he is transformed basically by this relationship that Buddy builds with him and Buddy's love for him, his newfound son. Um, you think about, about Scrooge, How is he changed? He's tra- changed by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, future, giving him a vision of all of the pain of his past, of all of the need of the present, of all of the hopelessness and despair of his future. That's how he's changed, right? Scrooge, how has he changed? He's, he's changed when he takes everybody's Christmas away, he thinks. He takes all of the gifts, and yet they still sing. They still are content. They still find joy, and he's transformed by that vision of all these people who don't need gifts, who don't need stuff, and he's transformed, right? How is it that we can be transformed, How is it that we can be transformed in the midst of our passivity, of our pride, our panic? Well, the first thing I think, uh, this is the very first thing that I mentioned. Verse 9 says this, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples. Change comes from God. That's it. I cannot change myself. God has to do it. I have to look to what he has done. I have to look to what he promises to do. I have to trust him. I have to hope in what he wants to do and what he says. I have to count on him to change me. I have to count on him to provide the change agent to make me different. And that is exactly what he has done. That is what Christmas is, right? Um, In in the the verses here, in verse 11, it says, um, I'm sorry, verse 12, it says, I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly what God has done at Christmas is he has come into our midst as a person humble and lowly. As a person who does no injustice, who treats people as they deserve to be treated, who loves people well. He speaks no lies. There is found in his mouth no deceit. That is Jesus. It's a description of Jesus. That is where we find change and transformation. It's, it's in the person of Jesus and in what he has done. It's in the fact that he came into a world as a lamb, not to be safe, but to give himself up as a sacrifice. And in, a, in a world that is dangerous, where he is rejected and where he is slaughtered for our sake. This is where we find change in that message of the gospel that God loved us so much that he sent his son to live and to die for us and to rise again. This is where we find change. We find change as we we meditate on, on who Jesus is and what he's done as we come near to Jesus. As we spend more time close to him, that is where we find change. As we spend time close to Jesus, how can we not become more active as we understand what he has done for us how can we not respond to Jesus? Take everything. There's no offering that is too big to give to him in response to what he's done for us. In response to what he has done for us as he died on the cross for our sin. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It leads us to notice our sin and to acknowledge it and to say, yes, my only hope is if you forgive me, is if you pour out your grace upon me and remove my shame. That's my only hope. And as we understand what Jesus has done, that He has died for me, and because He has died for me, God is with me. He is on my side. I have nothing to fear. If He gave up everything for me, how can I not also along how can I, I not also believe that God's going to give me everything? My life is absolutely safe and secure? I don't have to fear a thing that's the good news of the gospel, and that's how change takes place. And so I'll just leave us with this. Um, I was talking about these Christmas characters who who experience transformation. I I think it it begins here. You have to embrace your inner Grinch. You have to embrace the fact that you need changing. (laughs) That's where it starts if I'm going to look to God to change me, if I'm going to draw near to Jesus and and to meditate on the gospel so that I might experience change, you need to realize that in your Christmas story this year that you're the star of, what this needs to be about is your transformation. That's what your Christmas story needs to be about, to be transformed by God for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we we pray that you would help us to understand that in our heart of hearts, we are each of us a Scrooge, a Grinch. No matter how nice our life might look on the outside, we, we need you desperately to change us. No matter how long we've actually even been following you and how much you've changed us, we still need more changing. We need to be transformed so that we will live lives of, of just pouring out our energy to love you, to worship you, to know you. Father, we, we, we thank you for this incredible promise of, of grazing in a field where we have no fears. Father, we pray that you would help us to embrace that promise and to experience it as you change us and set us free from our anxiety and our panic. And we pray that you would help us to bask in your grace as you remove our, our sin and our shame through the work of Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We now have an opportunity. To